Well, we'll do a church check real quick as we get started here. Uh, he is risen. Oh, man, I'm really, you know, okay, so hey, give yourself a round of applause. I, I was, uh, when I put that in the notes, I was like, no one's going to do it. No one's going to do it. So if, you're, if, if you said he is risen indeed, that's something the church has been doing for hundreds of years. Uh, our church hasn't been doing that for hundreds of years because uh, we've only existed for a few. But uh, the church has been doing it for hundreds of years. And if, if so, if you uh, said he is risen indeed, uh, it's not your first rodeo uh, it's this, this morning. And if you uh, were like, oh, yeah, that means you used to go to church uh, growing up and it's been a while. Welcome back. Uh, and if uh, you're going, what, what, what? That was me. I remember the first time I went to church uh, with a buddy of mine, and they did that. And I was like, what are you talking about? So, hey, regardless of whether you said it or not, we're really glad that you're here. Uh, today is Easter Sunday, if you um, didn't realize. Uh, yet today we're remembering the greatest man in history uh, that had no servants, yet uh, they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicine, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He committed no crime, yet they crucified him. And they buried him in a tomb, yet he rose and he lives today. And so what we believe is that we don't uh, follow doctrine. And this is an important distinction, is we don't follow the teachings of Jesus. We follow Jesus. We don't just remember a man that lived and died and stayed in the grave, but we follow a man today who showed that he was who he said he was. And that's an important distinction. So today what's interesting is we're going to look at Easter from a different perspective. We, a lot of times we uh, look at Easter from someone in, you know, in 2022 now, which is kind of weird to say, 2022. But um, we are going to look at it from someone uh, who is from the first century. Because a lot of times we look back at situations and we have the benefit of hindsight, right? The hindsight's 2020. And sometimes you just don't have the benefit of seeing the full picture, right? When you make decisions, all you have are what's in front of you, right? Or what you can see. And sometimes it works out and sometimes you're going, man, knowing what I know now, I would not have taken out that loan or been in that relationship or moved over, whatever the situation was, right? Because all you can see what's in front of you. So sometimes you don't see the full picture. Actually, all the time you don't see the full picture. So uh, the last couple years for a lot of us has made us feel like we don't have control right? Those of us that are control freaks from a self-proclaimed, self-assessed uh, control freak to another. Uh, and if you're wondering if you are, just ask the person you came with. Trust me, they know. All right, ask your kids, ask your friends, ask your boss, your employees if you're a control freak. All right, from one control freak to another, uh, you don't have control. You don't have control. You never did. You never did. So, and now when we're on the, what feels like at least the backside of the pandemic, you go to some places, you know, you, you almost forget uh, that we're in a pandemic, but then there's a whole lot of uncertainty going on right now. Isn't there still? Like still, maybe, I don't know, I, I don't know what I'm waiting for, kind of just what it looks like to be on the, on the other side of this thing, but uh, there's, there's war. I don't know if you guys have heard. Uh, there's war going on in Ukraine. We have no idea what, are we at the, be at the end, in the middle? Are we at the beginning of something much larger that's coming? Who knows? And, and Ukraine is getting a lot of the press, obviously, but there's wars going on all around the world all the time. There's genocides and oppression happening all the time around the world. There are off-the-charts inflation, and so those of you guys who are kind of more into finances are going, what's the, what's the Fed going to do? How many times are we going to increase rates, and what does that mean? And what, really what it looks like from a practical standpoint is if you've been saving up to buy a house or buy a condo or something, you're going, will I ever? 
be able to. And it's not about owning investment property. For a lot of the conversations I've been having, it's like, do I need to move? Like, do I need to sever relationship and start over again just so I can have some semblance of life? Those are really big issues to deal with. A lot of things we can't control. Then you look at places like Shanghai, who's almost like back to two years ago, shut down, right? If you guys are going, what's going on in Shanghai? Just Google it, right? But it's, there's a lot of stuff going on around the world that, that can create FUD, right? Fear, uncertainty, and doubt, almost from every angle you're looking at it. It feels weird almost. I was, you know, I was preparing for Easter the last couple of weeks. It feels weird to celebrate Easter in the middle of all of that. It feels weird to celebrate hope and joy, and it's going to be hard. It almost feels like, like, like some people are going to go talk and give your head in the sand, right? Like, don't you know everything that go on? Like you're just like happy-go-lucky. It's going to, he's risen. He's risen indeed. Okay, I might lose my house. I'm going to have to move. I don't know what's going to go on in the future. I, I have friends overseas, I, right? All this stuff going on. So what do you do? What do you do when you feel like you don't have control or when you realize that you don't have control? This is the context of the very first Easter. This is what we want to talk about. The very first Easter wasn't like, yay, the very first Easter is like, what are we doing? This is what the disciples felt the very first Easter weekend. Their world as they knew it was turned upside down, right? You know, on on this weekend, the disciples were scattered. Their savior, their leader, the one they had given years to, the one they had given up careers for. They left their jobs. Some of them left their families to follow this man who said he was God, who said he was going to overthrow the kingdoms of the earth and bring on a new kingdom. Now he's dead. They watched him die. They watched the spear go through his side. They, they watched them put him in the tomb. Game over. So what do you do now if you're a disciple? Like, what did, what did lunch look like on Saturday for the disciples? Right? I mean, really practically. As they're walking to the store, they're going, did we make a big mistake? Like, was this all a lie? Was this all just emotions? Was this all just smoke and mirrors? What? Did we just throw our lives away? Are they going to come after us now, too? Like, do we need to run? This is what the early church is going. The, the, the very first weekend, they weren't shopping for their Easter outfits, right? No one thought a resurrection was coming. They did not expect it. That's why even when the women found the, you know, the empty tomb and they came back to the disciples, they, you know, they thought, they, Peter, like they thought the women were crazy. They were like, did you go to the right tomb? Because no one was expecting a resurrection. They thought maybe someone stole the body, as did Rome. It was a crazy situation. So let's go right before that, because I want to look at Easter from a different perspective. I think it actually really aligns with where we're at right now. Let's go to what we call today the Last Supper. They didn't call it that then. It was just a supper, right? So uh, it was the last meal with Jesus' core followers, right? You've seen, you've seen the painting, right? You've seen the, that, was, that was actually taken there that night. Anyways, uh, so... You, you, you see the, uh, remember, remember the, the picture, right? Jesus with his core followers. Jesus has been obedient to the Father for 33 years. 33 years. And then he knows what the next few days are going to be like, and it's not going to be Disneyland. It's going to be hell on earth for him. 
the next few days. He knows it's going to be the hardest moments of his life. He knows that one of the guys that he's washed his feet, he's served him, he's believed in him, he's prayed for him, one of his core followers was going to betray him. He knows this. It doesn't go uphill, it goes downhill from here. And so he, he takes the bread, and you got to imagine this. Imagine like we're having dinner this Friday night, a really big dinner apparently, but imagine we're having dinner, and I go, you know, they, they give us the bread, you know, to start off the, because they want you to fill up with carbs. So we, they, imagine if I just take the bread and I go, hey, guys, this is my body, broken for you, and I pass it around. Every time you eat dinner rolls, remember me. Be like, what are you talking about? Right? And I said, hey, take this cup of wine. This is my blood spilt for you. Every time you drink this, remember me. You wouldn't go, yes. I'll, you would go, what? What is wrong with you? What is, wh- we've never done this. This isn't like a new thing. This is, what is going on? Then he says, the next one who dips his bread is the one who betrays me. But he doesn't try to stop him. He says, do what you need to do. There was this sense of, Leading the situation, knowing full well what he's walking into, yet a submission, a yielding to allowing people to do what they're going to do. Then he takes them to a place called Gethsemane, which literally means the crushing. The crushing. Because that's where they, had, they grew olive. You can actually go to Gethsemane today, and uh, if you pay off the guard, you can literally, if you pay off the guard, you can hang there uh, for a little bit. Uh, if, they, if they say it's closed, just give them 20 bucks. It's not closed. Uh, so you, you can go in there and there's olive trees from the first century, from the time of that, that, that they believe that they may have been there, those same olive trees, a couple of them during this moment. So he takes the disciples to the garden of Gethsemane and he says, you have one job, one job, stay here and pray. And then he goes to pray. And here's, here's kind of how it goes down. Matthew chapter 26, uh, verse 38, he says, he says, Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. We're going to camp on this. Jesus, Son of God. The Bible says that everything was created by him. He sustains everything, and everything is moving towards him. This Jesus, the one who created all, the, the John says that, that he created all things. In him is the beginning, the embryo, the genesis of all things, right? That Jesus, he turns to his disciples. He's so overwhelmed that he's vulnerable. He's not just feeling it and keeping it into himself. He's letting those closest to him know, hey, guys, my soul is overwhelmed with grief, with sorrow, to the point of death. He's not a drama queen. We don't see this happening any other time. But he's so overwhelmed, he's literally feeling like he's going to die. And he says that to his disciples. He says, so could you just do one thing for me, guys? Could you stay here? Keep watch with me. I've been with you and I'll continue to be with you. But will you be with me? And I need you to be with you. You ever been in moments like that? Where you're like, you call someone and text them, I need you to be here. I don't know, I don't need you to say anything. I don't need you to do anything. Maybe bring over some ice cream. But I don't, I don't like, I just need you to be with 
me. I just need to know that you're with me. This is, it's weird to picture Jesus like that because we picture Jesus like Swedish with freshly blown out hair, wearing his, his white, uh, you know, satin robe with his purple sash and petting a lamb. Like this is how we picture Jesus. This is not beauty pageant sash Jesus. This is ugly cry. I need you to be with me, guys. I, I really need you to pray with me, guys, kind of moment, right? So he says, stay here. Keep watch with me. So he's like, he's expecting they're going to pray for him. And then he, he says, it goes a little, he's going a little further. He fell with his face to the ground. He fell with his face to the ground. This wasn't a graceful kneel. This was a, you're holding it together for the kids. You shut the door to your room and you just lose it. This is that moment. He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, my father, if it is, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Man, if there's any way, if there's any way, yet, not as I will, but as you will. God, would you take this cup away from me? But if, not as I will, but you will. The cup is the cup of suffering. The cup of suffering, the way he knows that he's going to take. Then it says that he returned to his disciples and he found them praying, right? No, he found them sleeping. Okay, now here, a little bit of grace for the disciples. They did just eat, all right? They just drink some wine. Okay, some of you guys are like, well, actually, they didn't have fermented. Yes, they did. This, it, this wasn't Welch's, all right? Anybody that says that they didn't drink fermented wine just is not being honest, all right? They, they, they ate, they, uh, obviously, some carbs, some carb-heavy meals, right? A lot of bread, a lot of body of Jesus, and then they had wine. They were a little sleepy. Jesus asked them to pray. There wasn't like, yeah, we'll just like have some background TV going on. There was nothing to keep them awake. They were in like a peaceful garden, Right? They're going to fall asleep. So at first, we've got to give the disciples a little bit of grace, right? When I pray, I walk and pray. I like walk around the neighborhood, and I can wear, like, my AirPods. People think I'm on a phone call, so I can pray, and it's not weird, right? I'm not, like, the crazy guy in the neighborhood. Um, but, like, if I pray in here, like, walk in randomly on a, you know, weekday or whatever, and if I'm praying in here, I'll walk down the aisles and pray. It's not because walking is more spiritual. It's really way more practical than that, is I tend to fall asleep. Like in the morning, I'll fall asleep. Late at night, I'll fall asleep. In the middle of the day, I'll fall asleep, right? Like um, I'm just kind of that way, right? So when I pray, I'll fall asleep. And so the, my way of not falling asleep is walking because I've never fallen asleep walking, right, yet. So I mean, who knows? Who knows, right? But I haven't yet. So I'll walk when I pray. One of my best friends in high school, his name is Adam. Uh, it's neither here nor there, but he would, he would literally sit in a chair. So I would, we were in a big sanctuary at our old church. I would walk and pray, and then he would, like, sit in the pew and just do this and pray. And I swore he's, he was asleep. But he's like, he's just like, no, no, I'm praying. He was up. The, I don't know how, how he does that. But anyways, so they were praying, right? They fell asleep. Jesus is a little frustrated. I think a little more than frustrated. I think he's hurt. I think he's hurt. Some of us were raised to believe that if you're overwhelmed, or if you deal with anxiety or depression or sorrow, it was somehow anti-faith. Some of you guys grew up in traditions like that, right? Uh, well, they must not have read this, right? Some of us grew up in a tradition to where we're in a household, uh, take, you know, even Christianity out of it, where you grew up in a place where any sort of mental illness or any sort of sadness, any sort of grief was weak, right? right? Like my parents, uh, usually their counseling for me was suck it up right? Not super helpful. Uh, and I'm working, I'm literally working through it now trying to figure out like, okay, I don't want to pass that on to my kids, uh, right? So you have the son of man, perfect, sinless, that's completely overwhelmed, 
completely overwhelmed. I think this is why when the Bible says that he can, he, he can understand, he can understand what we go through, right? So if you ever felt like this, felt like you just needed your friends to be there and they weren't there, you felt like you were totally overwhelmed, you didn't have what it takes, you felt like a complete imposter, you felt like you didn't have what it, what it took to do all the stuff that you wanted to do, you know, sometimes maybe your best just honestly just wasn't enough. And you feel like, is that always going to be the case? Or I just, am I just not enough for this relationship or this job or the dreams that I thought God wanted me to hear? It felt like that. Jesus understands. So the question then is, what do you do? What do you do when you feel overwhelmed? Because we're all going to get to that point. And if you don't get to that point, it means you're not trying to do much. Right? But if you want to make a dent in this universe, if you want to make an impact in this world, you're going to get to a place many times you get beyond yourself. My old pastor used to tell me, she used to say that, that you're, you're, you're going to want to quit every three months if you're doing it right. She called them fainting fits, pastoral fainting fits. That if you're really pushing, that you're going to want to quit every few months. And that's when you turn to God and say, honey, I, I, there's a huge gap between what I feel like I can do and what you've called me to do. Right? So what do you do when you feel overwhelmed? What do you do? What are your habits? Right? Do you run to the arms of Ben and Jerry? Right, like what do you do? Do you find hope in a bottle, right? And someone's like, ah, yeah, kind of, right? What do you do? What do you do? Do you sleep too much? Do you, right, what, do you, some of you guys hide behind productivity and accomplishment, checking things off. Some of you guys will make to-do lists in moments like this just to check them off. Like your first thing on to-do list is to make a to-do list just so you can check it off, right? You hide behind productivity because success means I can cover what's really going on. If I stay busy, that I can ignore some of the voices, that come out when I'm quiet, right? So what do you do? What do you do? Here's what Jesus did. He prayed. He prayed. I know it's like, this, like the pastoral, of course, talk, you're going to say that, right? It's the pastoral answer, but he prayed. He barely made it. He fell to his face, but he prayed. So he says, take this cup of suffering from me. He goes back and he finds the disciples sleeping and he's like, you have one job, guys. One job. I ask you to sit here and pray. This is the moment when Jesus needs his, his core to be with him more than any other time. And they didn't mean to fall asleep. It's not like Jesus left and they're like, oh, awesome, let's go to sleep, guys. Right? They just were tired. They were tired. What happened, though, is that probably made Jesus feel even more alone. Right? This is why. This is why. We never want you to pretend at church. Sometimes, sometimes church is the place where we put masks on, right? We're feeling like sick or exhausted, and, but that's anti-faith. You can't say you're feeling sick. You can't say you're feeling uh, sad right now. You can't say you're arguing with your spouse. And so you come in to the church and you're like, how's it? Blessed, brother. Blessed. Man, can't complain. Life is good. And when you do that, that's like me taking my car to the mechanic that's not running really well. The mechanic's like, what's going on? Nothing. It's good. It's good. Hey, can I check under the hood? Nope. Nope, everything's great. I'm going to go drive home now. And you know what? That car's probably never going to run right. So we have to be honest about where we are. We can't support one another if we're not honest with one another. And I'm not saying air your dirty laundry. I'm not saying come in the back door going, my wife and I just had the biggest fight, everybody. Here's what she said to me. Can you believe this? Right? 
I'm not saying that I'm saying appropriately share. Not on Facebook, not to everybody, right? But appropriately share. There's people that need to know kind of what's really going on. The reality check is God already knows. He's just waiting for you to be honest. God can't engage with who you pretend to be, right? So think about it. This is important for us to understand. Jesus could heal the sick. He could calm the storm, but he couldn't control his disciples, right? He could heal the sick. He could control the storm. He did all this amazing stuff, but he couldn't stop Judas, nor did he try. He could influence, but he couldn't control. And if Jesus had limits, so do you. If you're wondering, I cannot control my kids, yeah. As sooner you realize that, the better for you and your kids. I can't control my neighbors. I can't control my boss. I can't control my spouse. Yep. I don't know if you're coming for like the church. Or, Here's the three ways to control your spouse. It ain't happening. You can barely control you, right? So there's a UCLA research that talks about this idea of a, a, a illusion of control. She calls it illusion of control. And here's the definition of illusion of control. It's, it's the cognitive bias that leads us to believe that we have control over outcomes when in reality, we don't. It is a bias. We just assume, of course I can control the outcomes. No, no, no. You can influence outcomes, of course. You can't control outcomes, right? And what happens is we overestimate the degree over, over which we have control uncontrollable events, right? And the last couple of years are proof of that. But the last millennia is proof of that. And here's the problem with control, especially for us control freaks, okay? Some of you guys are not control freaks. You're just aggressively helpful, right? You're, but you're a control freak, all right? So here's the thing. The, the more you try to control, the more you try to control a situation, a person, an organization, whatever, the more you try to control, the more you're afraid of losing control, right? The more you try to control, the more you're afraid of losing control. And then the more you're afraid of losing control, the more you try to control, right? The more you try to control, the more you white knuckle it, the more you're like, what happens if I let my hands off the wheel? I mean, it'll probably be better, honestly, right? Well, the more you try to control, the more you're afraid of losing control. The more you're afraid of losing control, the more you try to control, right? And if you're like, that's not true. I can control my kids. How's that working out for you? I can control my spouse. I can control my boss. Like, how's that working out for you, right? Those of you guys that had controlling parents, how did that work out, right? The parents that, like, my parents, or, you know, the parents that to, that to you would say, I know everything about my kid. Did they? They thought they did, right? And if you try to control your kids, try to control, you think you know everything. It just goes underground, right? So how's it working out? There's a better way. There's a better way. And this is what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is going through the hardest night of his life. His disciples abandon him. They fall asleep. And he knows the next few days will be even worse. So what does Jesus do? He tells them to go pray. He falls on his face. He comes back, expects them to find him supporting him. He finds him sleeping. So what does he do then? Next verse says this. He went away a second time and prayed. If we continue to read, it says that he went back a third time and prayed. But this second time it says, He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. He essentially paraphrases or rephrases what he prayed earlier, the same prayer. Essentially, 
if you can take this away from me, my disciples are losers. <laughs> they can't, they're not even with me. But again, if you can take this cup away from me, that'd be, that'd be my vote too. But if not, I'm in either way. I'm in either way. So he goes to the Father a second time and surrenders. And even in the moment when he could have the most fear, in the moment where he can try to control, go, you disciples, you know how much I've done for you? He doesn't. In the moment where he's like, Father, I've done all this. I've been perfect. Now how come? He doesn't. In the moment he can fear the most and control the most, he surrenders the most. And this is important for us to understand. He said, this is the, one of the big takeaways for today is that you don't always have the power to control. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. Some of us, honestly, need to take a moment and surrender. We need to take a surrender. We need to take a moment and surrender our careers. We've been infatuated trying to control our careers. Some of us, I remember when I was growing up, my my life was laid out for me. Some of you guys grew up in households like that. I remember there's a thing called tiger cubs. You know what tiger cubs are? Tiger cubs are before Cub Scouts, which is before Boy Scouts, right? And my brother, you know, pin a, pin a rose on his nose. He went all through a Boy Scout, got the arrow of light, got whatever, the, the suit of awesomeness. I don't know what he got, okay? So because what happened for me is the tiger cubs had to wear this stupid little vest, right? And I was probably five, six, kind of in that weeble wobble stage, right? And so, like, I didn't want to wear the dumb vest, right? I remember my mom literally going, this will look good on your college resume. <laughs> it's like, what is college, Bob, right? My whole life was planned out for me. It's always like in how I picked, not this career. I wasn't going in on a different career path to be, to become a Christian and everything got reoriented. But before that, how I picked my career path, where I, going to college, the whole thing was, we, it was a column. Who made the most money in each career path? It, I, I mean, I remember my friends would ask things like, what are you, what are you passionate about doing? I'm like, what? my parents never asked me. What do you enjoy? <laughs> what? What, do you pa- what are your strengths? What are you passionate about doing? No, no, no. Taco, what makes the most money? <laughs> do that. You're my retirement plan, right? Like, how will I buy nice purses if you don't have a good job that makes money, right? Who cares if you enjoy it? You're not supposed to enjoy it. That's what retirement is for when your kids buy you things, right? So, so career, maybe you're, you, you've been trying to control your career, and it's not going the way you want. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. You need to surrender it. Some of you guys, your finances, you're so frustrated and caught up with everything the Fed is doing right now, and you're into crypto, or your, your 401k is up and down, and you're, and you're going, you need to surrender, I mean, this is, you can't control it. You can't predict it, right? You're trying to control a, product, a project at work. You can't control your, you're trying to control maybe hurt. If they just would have, if they just didn't, if, how come they, how come, you can't control them, can you? How's that what you seem to surrender it? Some of you guys with your health issues, for you or for a loved one, you can't control it. You can influence it, right? Probably shouldn't eat little seizures for every meal, but you can't control it, right? And you're going, how come, how come they get to, and their health, you can't control it? You can surrender it. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender those relationships. How come this relationship didn't go the way it was supposed to go? They said they would, but they didn't. And how, I don't know. I don't know. People are people. 
They're going to fall asleep when they're supposed to be praying. They're, they're going to do stuff that they shouldn't be doing. You have the power to surrender. You don't have the power to control, right? Your kids. I keep on bringing up kids because as a parent of like freshmen and a junior, it's become abundantly clear we can't control them, right? So you need to surrender. You can't control. Researchers studied the younger uh, generation, 30 or younger. If you're younger than 30 or younger, you can see, you know, I am officially young. But you know what? I, I, what they talked about with the, with the default religion for someone younger than 30, do you know what it is? It's not Christianity. It's not Islam. It's not Tibetan Buddhism or whatever is hot these days. Uh, it's, it's a thing called MTD. You ever heard of MTD? It's a moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's been around for decades. Uh, but you can just honestly Google it. It's, it's fascinating. We're, it's a snapshot of MTD essentially means this. It's moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic means that religion is equal to good, moral, or nice, right? Moralistic is just, hey, let's just be good people. Let's just hold hands in kumbaya, right? Moralistic. Therapeutic means that faith is there. Faith is a means to improve your life. That religion and church and, you know, your pastor is there just to improve your life. That after going to church, my health should be better. My finances should be better. Here's the three ways to improve your marriage. Like everything should be up and to the right if I follow Jesus. If I go to church anyway, it's therapeutic. That Jesus died on the cross so I could be the best version of me. Right? Therapeutic. Last one, deism. God is real, but not involved unless you really need him. Right? Moralistic therapeutic deism. So essentially what, what this group would believe is a mostly uninvolved God exists to make our lives better. A mostly uninvolved God exists to make our lives better. When I read that, I was like, you know what? This isn't 30 and younger. This is America. The ones that say, you know, I want to thank God at the Grammys, right? The ones that aren't slapping people. Like the ones that like, <laughs> too soon? Uh, the ones that like... Uh, like, I'm, I'm a Christian, right? 80% of America is, is Christians. Well, I, I think the majority of America are, believe in MTD, right? That a mostly uninvolved God exists to make my life better. In other words, my faith in God should, have, should help me to have a happy, healthy, comfortable, trouble-free life. That if I just do the right things, if I pull the right levers, if I do the right formula, that God should help me have a happy, healthy, comfortable, trouble-free life. Here's the problem. If you're not happy, then what? If you're not comfortable, if your life isn't trouble-free, then what? Did God mess up? Or did you pull the wrong lever? Did you do things wrong? See, maybe you tried religion. You're like, it didn't work. I tried prayer. I tried going to church. I tried to follow Jesus. And you know what? My life was still hard. My, my relationships didn't clear up. My finances didn't, I didn't get the great deal on the house. I didn't, like, everything wasn't up and to the right. Because you know what? The early church, Jesus, he didn't retire, right? Like, as an old grandparent with his 40 acres in Montana with little golden retrievers running around, right? The early disciples, the early apostles, all of them were executed for their faith. What we see as MTD, as a kind of a, a Western view of Christianity, is not biblical Christianity. What biblical Christianity is, is surrender. God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Whatever you want me to do. See, God's will is rarely easy. God's will is really easy, but it's always good. 
It's rarely easy. It wasn't easy for Jesus. It wasn't easy for his mom, Mary. I mean, Mary's the one, the Magnificat, right, that says, may your will be done. We're like, oh, Mary had such faith, right? So disturbed and confused, yet I will do this plan. I'll have a baby as a virgin, right? I'll go through all the weirdness in the family uh, photos for, you know, engagement photos, right, being pregnant. Go through all that, right? Because may your will be done. It's beautiful, and we talk about that every Christmas. But then we don't talk about the fact that at the end of the story, as Mary had to watch her son get beat, treated as a criminal, innocent, get whipped to where his flesh is torn, where he's within an inch of his life. She has to, what mom wants to see that? What mom wouldn't trade places? That was God's will? Was that up and to the right? Was that comfortable? Was that self-help? Jesus goes, hey, your, your will, whatever your will, God, I want to do that. He was arrested, beaten, whipped, unconscious, spikes drove in, driven through his wrists. He was mocked, spit on. He was, his, was put on the cross naked. Our pictures don't show him naked for obvious reasons, but he was naked, beaten. And the crazy thing is, the people that were mocking were like, why don't you, if you're the son of God, why don't you call down angels? And the Bible says that he could have, right? I don't know about you, man, but if I could control legions of angels, and then this schmo is going, oh, if you're really the son of God, you're like, oh, yeah? <laughs> Let's do this, right? Let's wrap this thing up, right? It's about to go down. WrestleMania is happening right now, okay? Right, Avengers assemble. Like, this is going to be... Awesome, right? But he doesn't. He doesn't. What Jesus does, he could have controlled, and he doesn't. Jesus says, hey, Father, forgive the idiot. He didn't say, my, my translation, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. He said, it is finished. That into your hands, I commit my spirit. What I can control is my surrender. I choose not to control so I can control this. Jesus understood. You don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. So he was executed. The disciples scattered. On the third day, the women were the first ones. And, they, they, and it's not because the women were like, some people were like, well, the women were expecting the resurrection. No, they weren't. Jesus was executed at the end of the day on, on, on Friday. Saturday is Shabbat. It's, it's Sabbath, so they weren't going to do that. So the early Sunday morning, they finished burial preparations. So the women were going to prepare the body. But the stone was rolled away and the body was gone. That's how we know. And then the, the women went to the disciples. We talked about this earlier. Women went to the disciples and said, hey, the body's gone. They're like, nah, I don't know. We'll go check it out. We'll, we'll confirm you probably went to the wrong tomb. Right? Like, they didn't believe him. The Bible actually says that they thought the women were crazy. Right? They didn't have a lot of credibility. And they find out that Jesus really was risen. And Jesus not only died for our sins. We're forgiven because Jesus died for our sins. But since we are raised, we can follow him. Right? So that anyone can come to him for forgiveness of sins. He took on our sin so we can take on his righteousness. He didn't come for the righteous ones. And the reality is none of us are righteous. He came for all of us, broken, messed up sinners. And said, I can do something with that. I can save that. Here, here, I'll take on your sin. You take on my righteousness. It's a good trade. All right? Righteousness means right standing with God. So here's a question. What are you trying to control? What are you trying to control? That God wants you to surrender. What are you trying to control? That God wants you to surrender. 
And sometimes your spouse, your friends may know, and sometimes it's just in here, and no one knows, but it's you. What relationship are you trying to control? That God's just saying, just surrender it to me. Haven't you realized yet you can't control it? What about your health? My body, my knees, my hip, they're doing things I don't want them to do. You know what I mean? We watched Cirque du Soleil the other day, and my big takeaway was they don't have knee problems. Like, that's like, <laughs> like if I was trying to do some, not like the big, I'm talking just like bending over. I'm not like flipping. I'm trying to like, look how low they get to the ground. Like, they can just like bend over. It'd be like snap, crack, snap, crackle, pop. If I, like, you can mic up my knees and it'll fill up the whole auditorium, right? I can't control my health, but I can control my surrender. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe you think about finances too much. You should think about finances at some level, but you shouldn't be overwhelmed with finances. You can't try to control your finances because so much of it is outside of your control. But maybe you need to surrender it. Maybe it's your future. There's all this stuff about your future that you're trying to control and all this fear, uncertainty, and doubt is making you go, what do I do, right? The thing about surrender is there's no such thing as partial surrender. You're either surrendered or you're not. You can't be like, I'm I'm 64% surrendered to God, Right? I can't say, like, I got to trust you with some things, but not all things. I trust you to save me, but I don't trust you with my kids. I trust you for salvation, but I don't trust you with my job. I trust you to run everything in the world, but I don't trust you with my health. I mean, I know a little more of my health than you do, God, right? I trust you for, you know, the forgiveness of my sins, but I don't trust you with my loved ones. I don't trust you, God, to understand the intricacies of, of finance and 401ks. It sounds stupid to say out loud, doesn't it? But we think about it. The key to this whole thing about Easter is found between two words. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. That the if and the yet, the tension between if, God, you do this, but yet, even if you don't, even if you don't, yet no matter what you do, no matter what you decide to do, yet, just so you know, God, I want to find, God, if, if my kids would serve you with all their hearts, God, if my finances would, if my health would, if my neighbors, if my boss, if my career, if, if, here, here's, the, here's the things I would want to pray for, but yet, even if it doesn't, even if it doesn't, even if you don't follow my plan, I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to surrender to you. The real faith is between the if and the yet. If God answers your prayers, great. But what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't? What if his plan is different? What if his ways are higher than your ways? And here's the question. Does God surrender? Are you expecting God to surrender to your plans? Is that the only solution? Is that, no, 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 God, when we disagree, we've talked about this, when we disagree, you're supposed to go my way. You, I, I, I told you what I wanted, right? Or do we surrender him? Does God follow you or do you follow him? We celebrate Easter because Jesus understood that our faith lies between the if and yet. That if we believe that God is who he says he is, then we understand this. And the last key thought is that God can do way more with your surrender than you can do with your control. God can do way more with your surrender than you can do with your control. See, aren't you, aren't you tired? Like, aren't you just tired of trying to control everything? To look a certain way for everyone else, you don't even know, to think certain ways about you. Aren't you, aren't you tired of trying to control everything? 
So many of us are, are 20 inches away from the peace that God wants from you. If you measure it, the, we're roughly 20 inches from your knees to the ground. Some of us, and you're like, well, what's the big deal? I don't have to like physically kneel. Try it. Try it. There's something physiologically that your, your body posture informs your heart and your soul. Some of us need to physically kneel before God. And yeah, if you do it a certain way, you do it for a certain amount of time, it gets religious and meaningless, but I don't think that's our issue. I think for some of us, we need to physically kneel and bow before God. Recognize that what you're trying to carry, what you've been trying to carry, God never wanted you to carry. What you're trying to carry, you are unable to carry anyways. So let God carry it. Let God carry you. Easter's recognition that there's hope at the end of God's plan. There's there's going to be dark seasons, but that there's hope at the end of God's plan. At the end, God is good, and he's more than able. So will you surrender? So what we're going to do now is uh, they're going to sing one last uh, song. We're actually going to sing one last song together. And uh, no uh, pressure, but some of us, some of us need to, like, literally turn around in our seats, kneel, and make an altar out of our seat. And some of you guys have never done that. Some of you guys, it's been a long time since you did but something in your heart changes. When you kneel, and I'm not saying you have to, like not this, I'm saying the spiritual ones do. Some of you guys need to come forward up here and kneel before God. Not kneel before the worship team, but kneel before God. And just think, I've been, I need to surrender to you, God. I've been trying to control things that you want me to surrender, and I'm just, I'm done. I'm done. And Easter shows me that you're way more powerful than I am. I don't know about you, but I'm just going to go with the guy who dies and resurrects. It's going to go that, that they know more that, than I do. It's going to go with that guy, right? So with that, what are you trying to co- control that you need uh, to surrender? And then we're going to sing the song. We're going to pray, and then we'll dismiss. We'll eat some churros, right? We'll get some balloon animals done, right? All the stuff that Jesus did in the first Easter, right? So, right, so we're going to I just want to be really biblical today. So uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll sing the song together. God, we just pray. Uh, God, I pray for no guilt, no condemnation. God, I pray for the freedom of God to reign in this house. God, I pray for those that are maybe are, are, have, have walked away from you. God, would you draw us back to a place of surrender? Not out of guilt or shame or condemnation, but out of love and hope that we, the stuff that we don't feel like we can carry, we're never supposed to carry in the first place. God, I pray that we would live such humble, surrendered lives. That we'd surrender our hearts our careers, our relationships, our kids, our finance. We surrender everything to you. God, I pray for freedom to come. Just a relief from not having to control that stuff anymore because we never could to begin with. We love you, God. We give it to you in Jesus' name. So go and stand to your feet, whatever feels comfortable for you. If you want to come up here, make an altar out of your seat, or you can just stand and sing this uh, together.